and welcome to the Financial Freedom Podcast, delivered as ever with verve and personality by the team from Rachel Bell Wealth Management, along with their special guests. Today's pod is called Investing for a World Worth Living In, and we're delighted to have a very special guest. Before I get on to the people joining us, please note that the discussion points we cover in this podcast are our own views or those of the guest speakers and do not constitute financial advice. We always recommend that you speak with a professional before considering your own situation and taking action. Now, there's just myself and practice principal Rachel Bell in the recording studio today. Hi, Rachel. Hello, James. And joining us down the line, we have Rob Gardner. Rob is Director of Investment Management at SJP. He's leading a responsible investment revolution, focusing on how all of our investments and pensions can be a force for good. Rob's a financial well-being and education activist. He's written a children's book called Save Your Acorns. More on that later on. And he's been an inspiration to Rachel and all of her team when it comes to their financial well-being workshops and the financial education sessions that they hold in schools. Rob, we're very excited. We feel incredibly privileged to have you with us and you are very welcome. Thank you, James. And thank you, Rachel. Excited to be on this podcast with you. Lovely. So... Some of the biggest shifts and changes in awareness in our environment and the climate crisis have come from Sir David Attenborough, actually, and uh, he's brought to life for many the devastation that our world is suffering at the hands of the global environmental crisis. Now, what many people probably don't realise is that pensions and investments can make a tangible and real change to the way in which we help our environment, and that's what we're going to be discussing today. So I guess, first of all, Rob, it would be really helpful if you can just bring to life for us what responsible investing actually is and the impact it can have on our lives and our children's lives. Great question, James. And and let me pick up uh, from uh, your point about David Attenborough, because you're right. I think he's really raised all of our awareness about the state of where we are and and done it in a way that I think still gives us hope that we can do something about it. And I, I think most of us uh, want, you know, want to do good and most individuals think about their lives and, and what can they do. But, but as David Attenborough says, real success can only come if there is a change in our societies and in our economics and in our politics. Now, economics is, is really about the sort of flow of money and a big part of that is where is money invested and so responsible investing is really this idea about where and how we invest our money and it comes from a simple truth that companies affect the world you know we we might have read about how water companies uh pump sewage uh into the sea uh over the summer holidays uh in the uk or of course, you read about oil and gas companies uh, and, and the damage they do to the environment. Uh, and at the same time, the world affects companies. So if there are droughts and rivers are dried up, then we can't move goods and services up and down those rivers. Uh, there might be fires or storms which impact supply chains. So we know that companies that make up our economy impact the world in which we live and we know that the world in which we live impacts the two so responsible investing at the heart of it is about being aware of the interrelation between those two 
And it's primary, the primary purpose, of course, is that we are investing clients' money. You know, that why do we invest our money? It's because we want to invest our money over the long term to grow our money faster than inflation. And I, I like to talk about financial well-being in a world worth living in. And we can only achieve financial well-being if we grow our money. So I, I, I really want to start and stress uh, that this is about how do we create long-term sustainable returns and it's a belief that companies that understand their environmental, their social, and their governance risks and opportunities and change their behaviours over time will be more successful in the future. And that's a really important point. This is not about sort of sitting there as a judge and saying that company's good and we'll invest in it and that company's bad and we don't invest in it. As I said, you know, companies are in a way like humans or like teams they can be coached or nudged in in different directions and so how as an investor can you influence whether a company is changing their policy and let me just really bring that to life i'm sure many of your clients rachel have bought a pair of trainers uh from you know nike uh, nike has absolutely been on this journey to embrace what's called the circular economy so if you if you go online or if you walk into a Nike store, which is what I did the other day on, on Oxford Street, uh, you will see their pledges to be net zero. Uh, you will see them talking about how their products are made more and more from products that are being recycled or reused. Now, a company that has done that for a long time is a company called Patagonia. They make outdoor clothing, mountaineering clothing, hiking clothing. But my point is that there's a trend now in the fashion world where we're seeing more and more companies thinking, well, look, in order to be successful in the future, we need to sell more clothes, but we know our consumers won't sort of put up with a simple take, make, waste approach to making their clothes. So we need to be responsible businesses and we need to think about how we do that. Now, as investors, as responsible investors, you want to be investing in companies and saying, have you thought about this opportunity or have you thought about this risk if you aren't doing anything about it? And what changes are you making and how do you think that will make you more successful? And again, to just go back to, to, to Nike as a business, it knows that the more it embraces this approach, it actually imp it improves its appeal to its clients, it improves its brand value. Uh, and also having made the investment in reusing and recycling materials, actually it means it makes a bigger profit margin. So all good for business. So again, I want to really come back to this idea that responsible investment, first and foremost, is about how do you create that sort of long-term uh, sustainable business improvement. And really it's about how do you engage with businesses to understand the risks and opportunities and say, how, are you thinking about the sustainability of your revenues? And what are you doing about it to make that uh, make that happen? And I, I can give you many more examples, but 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 at the heart of it, that's what it's all about. It's really interesting listening to you talk about you know around the circle tour for for Nike, uh, and I always enjoy understanding what these companies are doing. But it's not too dissimilar to the journey that we go on with clients. When it's an education perspective, it's kind of pointing in a direction, looking at where they're wanting to get go and how they're going to get there. If you are all of a sudden giving a company suggestions and ideas rather than expecting them to be 
at the end point now, it, it's a lot easier for them to take on board suggestions, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, from a behavioural perspective, which is, you know, what, what you're doing with your clients, Rachel, it's exactly the same. So it starts with awareness. You know, did you know? Have you thought, do you understand the environmental impact that you have on your business or the impact the environment can have on your business? Or have you thought about the, the, the social, uh, you know, risks of having a business that is not a diverse workforce or where you don't pay your staff properly? Have you thought about the, the governance uh, risk. So it all starts with awareness, and then it's about taking action and sort of really seeing that action come through. And then over time, those companies build confidence and do it more and more and start to accelerate. So a, a, a good example of where that works well, as I say, is companies uh, like Nike who have embraced it and are moving forward. Microsoft, Apple. I mean, Apple's amazing. I think something now like almost seventy percent of a new iPhone is made from recycled or reused materials. Again, good for the environment because we're not having to mine uh, more materials, but it's also good for their profit uh, uh, margin because they're having to pay less for those uh, resources and they're effectively buying them back from you when you take your old iPhone in uh, to, be, uh, to be recycled. But it's all about sort of creating that behavioral change, which is awareness, action, and then accelerate. I think the, the, the actions that you've described there and you've used the examples of, of Nike and Apple are, are fantastic and they're admirable and they're probably in line with what a lot of business owners would like to achieve for their own companies. But I sit here as a, a co-owner of, uh, of an SME and I think, you know, I'm, I'm not Nike and I'm not Apple and I don't have their vast resources or um, departments how would an SME or a business of our size, we're, we're 13 people um, operating across four offices, how would we start to consider our own journey in this area? That, that, that's a great question, James. I mean, uh, again, it, it's, it sort of like starts with that awareness point. So what, what is the you know, impact of your business? So let, you know, let's start. You already are a responsible business because you're employing people and I'm sure, you know, you look after your staff and pay them fairly and you've got a great culture. So that's a really important part, right? Actually creating jobs, paying people, those people pay taxes and learn new skills that creates economic prosperity. So that, that is a really, you know, that's why companies are, are, are really, uh, are really important. Uh, the next thing you can go is, you know, look through some of the sort of social and governance impacts and go, well, uh, to what extent are we a diverse and inclusive workforce? Could we do, you know, could we do more to work on that? And yeah, this is a journey that all companies are going through, and you know, SJP is going through this journey. But I, I really think that's a journey that you can go through, whether you're a small company, a medium company, or, or a large company. That to just look around you. Uh, to what extent, you know, do you all sort of come from the same area? look the same, have similar backgrounds, or, or, or are you sort of truly diverse in terms of your approaches and values? And we know there are lots of benefits from having that. And then I think the third thing is sort of figuring out, you know, your your your, your environmental impact. You know, could you switch the electricity for your office to uh, renewables? If you have an office, is there stuff that you could do to improve uh, the efficiency of its buildings? Have you... Uh, could you be a bit smarter a bit about how you all travel to and from work or when you do travel for work 
uh, is there a sort of lower carbon op option or could you offset it? So I, th there are lots of things that you can do uh, on the environmental front. There are lots of sort of calculators and tools that you can download. Again, on the sort of diversity and inclusion uh, front, there are, there, there are tools that you can download. But a lot of it is just common sense and say, you know, to what extent is, is, our, is our business a responsible one? And uh, as I say, the frameworks that big listed companies use uh, apply at your scale, but just sort of apply them in a way that's, that's appropriate and relevant. That's really interesting because actually quite a lot of the things that you've mentioned there are things that we're actively doing as a business. So we are perhaps taking far more action in this area than we realise we're taking just by virtue of the fact that we want to be uh, good employers and we want our staff to have uh, roles and uh, an experience when they come to work that's fulfilling. Some of the things that you, you were describing there sounded to me like they stray into the wider ESG realm. And it's something that certainly I receive countless emails on join this webinar on ESG or read our paper on ESG. And it's only very recently that I've come to understand in more detail what that is. But can you just give us your take on that and it's uh, the way it plays into the whole responsible investing sphere? Yeah, so the, the sort of ESG is an abbreviation for environmental, social and governance. And so just think of them as buckets through which either as a business and a business owner, you can assess your own business or as an investor, uh, you, you, can you, you can sort of assess the, the companies you're investing in. Uh, and, and really, it's a way of just taking stock, auditing, what are the environmental opportunities? What are the environmental risks? What are the social opportunities? What are the social uh, risks? And what are the governance opportunities? And what are the governance risks? Now, to some extent, if you say this to you know, younger people starting work right now, it just it actually sounds like common sense. And uh, the, 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 the reality is what, why it's sort of being introduced now is if we go back to the late 1970s and early 1980s and an economist in the US, Milton Friedman, sort of came up with this sort of thesis really or this sort of point of view that the sole purpose of a company or a corporation, as they say in the US, is profit. Now, interestingly, before that, companies used to be a lot more holistic, a lot more responsible. Think about, you know, Cadbury uh, in, in sort of Birmingham or think about some of the sort of Quaker uh, uh, businesses that emerged in the sort of post-Victorian industrialization boom that we're having in the UK where people thought, actually, we can't just sort of make people work in factories. We need to give them nice homes and we need to look after them and we need to give them them, them, them holidays. And so... Uh, ESG is just trying to sort of zoom out and not just have this sort of relentless focus on what is the profit of that company. Because the danger is if you just reduce the company to what are its revenues, what are its costs, and what are its profits, you risk the externalities. What are the negative impacts that it's doing? So if it's making all of this money, but it's making lots of plastic bottles that are clogging up the ocean and that are killing fish and destroying our environment surely we should take that into account. And so where ESG is at the moment is just saying, well, look, if you're a fund manager and you're investing in that company, do you understand what the opportunities and risks are? Do the management team understand what the opportunities and risks are? You can then choose to invest or not invest, or you can go further. You can choose if you have enough money and enough influence 
uh, to engage with that company and say, look, we're a material shareholder, we're going to invest in you, uh, but we want to invest with you only if, we, if you make these changes and these improvements. And if you don't make these improvements, we're going to divest uh, from you. Now, where this all plays out eventually, I think, is in the future, and by the future I mean sort of by the end of this decade, uh, we'll end up with what's called impact-weighted accounts. So, uh, so Ronald Cohen, who wrote this book, Impact, sort of talks about this. But, but think about it. At the moment, companies report their profits. So, you know, over the summer, we've been reading about how, how all the energy companies are making super normal profits, but no one's counting the environmental cost of all the environmental damage they're doing. So impact-weighted accounts would say, well, look, let's look at all of your revenues. Let's look at all of your costs. But at the same time, let's look at the negative impact that you're having and then subtract that and come up with your impact-weighted revenues. So you might think about Coca-Cola, which is responsible for producing a lot of plastic bottles, which is responsible for producing sugary drinks that we know are not good for people's health. And therefore, you might say, well, look, they're making all of these billions of dollars of revenues. Uh, they've got these costs and then these are their profits, but let's adjust that for what's the medical impact that they have or what's the impact on the environment of sort of producing all of these plastic bottles. And the point being that companies like Coca-Cola start to think about, well, how can they evolve their product mix to be less dependent on plastic bottles uh, and to get their consumers to consume responsibly uh, and to think about how they can sort of shift their, their sort of product mix to have less sugar and have less harmful effects. A great example where we're seeing this right now is in the beer industry, where many brewers are kind of signing up to net zero. They're really looking at their processes and thinking about how can they produce less water. They're looking at their packaging and saying, can we produce packaging that's easier to reuse and, and, and recycle? So uh, just to kind of show you that this stuff can be done and is not far flung, it, it's kind of happening right now. The opportunity is how do we make this happen with all businesses all around the world. So very interesting. If I share a, a bit of personal information, my pension fund is invested with SJP uh, via Rachel and the team. Um, it is neither um, a meagre pot nor a massive pot. It's a, a work in progress, let's say. So I want my money to do good things for the world that my kids and grandkids are going to grow up in. How can I be assured that SJP is doing everything it possibly can do to invest that money responsibly, is my first question. And my second question is, you know, I'm just one man among a, a, a global population of billions. How much difference can I really make by having my pension funds invested with a company that hopefully invests them responsibly. No pressure, Rob. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> well, well, look, great to hear you're a, a client, James, uh, uh, you know, as, as am I and my wife and my kids and, 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 and my mum and dad. And look, let me, uh, uh, first a comment, we did some research, and it was either last year or it might have been earlier this year, that said uh, that nine out of ten of our clients think businesses should be socially and environmentally responsible. Now, how that plays out and what, what that means is obviously means different things to different people. Uh, 
let me start with your second question first, which is what what's the impact? You know, you might be saving uh, a few hundred pound a month to your pension. You go, well, how on earth can uh, can 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 that have an impact? And the truth is, it can have a a huge uh, a huge impact. And and it's because money is a real force multiplier. So we might be be saving for our pension, contributing to it every every month. But our money is all being pulled together. And SJP, uh, at the time of recording, had about 900,000 clients up and down the, the UK. So all that money is being sort of pulled together and, and invested. Collectively, we invest about £150 billion. Now, that £150 billion is invested with our fund managers all around the world. And they collectively... Uh, have sort of investor power. Think of it as like buying power, but investor power of eight trillion pounds. By the way, trillion is a very, very uh, big number. You know, so and then they then invest in companies uh, that represent about eighty trillion pounds. So what I want to what I'm trying to paint a picture for you here is that your sort of hundred pounds a month going into your pension fund multiplies up because of this this sort of uh, huge Archimedean lever uh, in terms of how we invest. So does that kind of, just to kind of bring that to life a little bit more than Rob, so what we're saying is effectively the, the, the contributions that we make can in turn influence how a company takes their responsibility um, to the whole ESG and responsible investing. So if we say Microsoft, for example, so some of the underlying portfolio will be invested in Microsoft. And because we have such uh, an influence worldwide, that smaller pot of money all of a sudden influences bigger companies so that they are on the right journey. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. So let, let, so Microsoft's a great example. So collectively across all of our clients, uh, we own uh, over a billion pounds worth of Microsoft shares. Wow. So uh, actually last year when I was in COP26, I actually met with the MD for the UK for, for, for Microsoft. So when SJP through their fund managers wants to engage with Microsoft, they want to talk to us. Now, of course, if, if collectively across all of our clients we were only investing 10 million pounds, we wouldn't have much influence. So... That, that influence is a function of that sort of collective power that you get by being an SJP client. And then we then in turn get, because we then in, use our fund managers, and so we're really getting this sort of scale, this, this, this force multiplier. Now, it turns out that Microsoft is a great example of a company that when you look at it standalone, it's pretty good on, you know, it's probably, you know, double A or triple A rated on most ESG metrics. It's a very sort of progressive firm. But the point is with ESG, no firm is perfect, just like no person is perfect. They all, you know, companies have their, their strengths and weaknesses. And so, you know, two areas where we think Microsoft could do more is one is around artificial intelligence and the ethics of artificial intelligence. How are they thinking about that? So, you know, if they're building AI for a car and there's an accident, is the AI solving to protect the person in the street or is it solving to protect the person in the car. How do you solve that? Interesting ethical question. Uh, the second one is Microsoft make a lot of computer games. 
which is a, a booming industry. Uh, now, again, you know, parents probably are happy with their kids playing computer games, but don't want their kids playing computer games all, all the time. And so a bit like the alcohol companies, how, how is Microsoft thinking about responsible gaming? So building new games, building new products, which have huge appeal, but also being mindful about educating their clients about not spending their entire time uh, playing, playing computer games. But as I say, because we're SJP, because we have over a billion pounds invested in Microsoft, we have a real seat at the table to have that conversation with the CEO and management team uh, of Microsoft. That's not me and my team. That that's off our managers that 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 that, that we uh, that we appoint. So there's something about size and scale, but there's also something about approach. So our approach at SJP is engagement. We don't just sort of look at ratings and buy the good ones like Microsoft and not own the bad ones, we want our fund managers to engage and, and figure out that actually they can make a difference. So to pick oil and gas, you know, we have over 500 million pounds in both BP and Shell. Again, we're a significant uh, shareholder and investor. And back uh, two years ago, we engaged with Shell to sign up to net zero. Uh, as an oil and gas company, which meant it had to acknowledge the impact of climate change and what that would mean to its business and how does it think about transitioning. And then again in 2021, uh, when they came out with their sort of net zero commitments, we're, we were part of a wider group called Climate Action 100 Plus, and we voted against them because we felt that Shell weren't going uh, far enough on, on, on their commitments. So that's a really good example of size and scale and engagement shifting the behavior of a company. So James, what does that mean? You asked me, well, what's the impact? Well, research done by Nordea suggests that if, if you invest your pension in a sustainable and responsible way, which is how it's invested at SJP, uh, over, your, over a typical sort of saving lifetime of 40 years, that is 27 times, 27 times, not 27%, more impactful than if you flew less, cycled to work, and ate less red meat. And it's back to that sort of force multiplier because, you know, when you fly less, that only impacts how much CO2 you do, but how you invest impacts the airline industry and about how they're thinking about decarbonisation and how they're signing up to net zero. So actually, one of the if you really sort of care about the environment, the thing that where you have the greatest impact is where your, your your money is invested. And so that was research done by Nordea. And then very similar research was done last year by Aviva uh, and Make My Money Matter. And they came up with 25 times. So I think you can rest assured and know that your, uh, that your money really can have uh, an, an impact, but not in a way that's trying to sort of uh, not own the quote unquote bad companies who decides if the company is bad or not. Uh, and, and only the good ones. Actually, we're trying to make everyone better here. Now, your first question was, well, how do I know what SJP is doing? You know, it, it all sounds good. Yeah, of course, I want, you know, I want to grow my pension and I want it to do well. And I, I love the fact that if I do that, it's uh, 27 times more impactful. But how do, how do I know that SJP are, are, are actually doing it? And uh, this... This kind of idea is called sort of greenwashing. And so it's where a company might promise to do something, 
and not deliver on it. So the question is, how do I know whether that company is walking the walk, not just talking the talk? Yeah. Uh, and so here's where I suppose, you know, you have to do some homework. So why don't I talk, talk to you how we're doing everything that we can, or we're, we're trying to be as best in class as we can, because I don't think anyone's uh, perfect. And then where can you go or where can, you know, the listeners go to kind of sort of verify this for themselves? So look, the, the, the first thing is that we have been sort of thinking about ESG and how we build our funds and select our fund managers going back to sort of 20, 2014. But it was really in sort of three, four years ago that we had a real step change. Uh, we, we put out our investment beliefs, which is what are the kind of guiding principles that we use uh, where we invest. And, and part one of that is all about understanding clients. And that's exactly what Rachel does. And I really enjoyed listening uh, to uh, the podcast with your with your client, uh, Rachel. And uh, I think it was Steve, and he was talking about becoming clients. So it all starts with what are Steve's goals or any of your clients' goals. And then, you know, we're trying to build uh, a, a mix of funds, a portfolio that will give you let's say, James, the right strategic asset allocation, that's the right amount of equities, uh, the right uh, diversification in terms of countries and companies uh, and different styles. Uh, we want to make sure that you've got fund managers that are giving you a mixture of active and maybe uh, uh, still a degree of active, but maybe not taking as much active risks. Uh, we really want to understand all of the risks, and that's not just the investment risks, it's also these other risks. Uh, we conduct sort of disciplined research in, in everything that we do. Uh, but seven is embed responsible investment in everything that we do. And again, that goes back to, because actually we think that's the best way to get long-term performance, because we believe those businesses that understand how they make money and how their revenues in the future are exposed positively and negatively to these kind of ESG risks and opportunities. And the ones that kind of address their weaknesses and take advantage of the opportunities will be the most successful businesses of the future and therefore make the most money uh, for, for our clients. So it starts with our, our investment beliefs. And so therefore with that, we then said to all of our fund managers, uh, we want you all as a minimum to be signed up to what's called the United Nations Principles for Responsible Investing. Think of it as a sort of like a kite mark uh, of a minimum standard. So SJP have been signed up to this for a number of years. Uh, we actually carry the, the, the sort of highest rating that we have. And so by the end of 2020, uh, 100% of our fund managers had signed up. And that's not something that, that everyone does and not every fund manager signed up. Uh, and the good news is two-thirds of our fund managers have got the highest rating uh, that they have. We then, in, in 2020, signed up to Net Zero. We were actually the first wealth manager globally to sign up to Net Zero. And this was probably a year, this was almost a year ahead of COP26. So we didn't wait until COP26. We were ahead of the pack. We signed up and actually we made a commitment not only to be Net Zero by 2050, but to decarbonize, that's reduce the amount of CO2 uh, of the companies that we invest in by 25% by 2025. And again, we've delivered that commitment three years early. So at the start of the year, we delivered that. And uh, we've done that a number of ways. Uh, our property funds 
are, I think, is the lowest carbon intensity funds of any property fund in the UK. Uh, they were the first property fund manager to sort of build a, a net zero industrial park. Uh, they've really invested in improving the energy efficiency of their buildings. Last November, we launched the largest global equity fund that is uh, aligned with the Paris Climate Goals, uh, which has half the carbon intensity of a typical global equity portfolio. And again, that we've done that with, without divesting. Uh, there's a whole lot more that we've done in terms of working with Rubico to engage with the companies we invest with, joining action groups like Climate Action 100 Plus to engage with the 100 largest emitters on the planet because they produce 70% of all the CO2 in the atmosphere. And then we tell our clients about it. So every year we have a value assessment statement that we produce and in there we've got some high level information. But for clients who really want to kind of do some digging, uh, I'd really recommend reading our, our stewardship and engagement report that, again, is on our website and we produce uh, every year. And, and, you know, one of the things that we're going to be doing, uh, James, is thinking about how do we sort of surface this content more to sort of make it easier for you to digest so you don't just look at your pension and say, well, how's it doing? How's my pot of money doing? But also, you know, how's my pot of money doing good? What impact is it having? And, and how can we bring these sort of stories alive around Apple and Microsoft and, and Nike and Shell. Listening to the stories, Rob, and listening to all of that is, is, is just amazing how much you've brought it to life, to be honest, because there's a lot of what you're saying um, with everything that you've talked about that is almost going back a number of years. You know, So when we talked about um, pre the Industrial Revolution, when it was the kind of reuse um, you know, you, you kind of mended everything and you had communities that came together to support each other. And I know over the last couple of years, I've certainly found uh, that that seems to be on, on the rise again. But just for us as local businesses in, in Cumbria here, um, thinking about the sustainability of farming and thinking about raising awareness and food uh, security and everything like that there's so much that we can learn from our local communities which is again at the heart of what we mean by being socially responsible and being involved with that so it's it's really good to hear the diverse amount of industries that you're talking about and how I'm kind of thinking well do you know what we are engaging with the community we are really proud to listen to what's going on and how we can make small improvements and that everybody can contribute but the passion that you you give to it and you bring to it when you've just brought to life literally that James's pension is changing uh, changing the world and I'm not being I'm not I don't mean to diss that at all James but it it really is because it's the compound effect of what happens and the trust um, that I have in in St James's Place and and Rob for delivering that all of the fund managers are signed up for the UN principle to responsible investing so that we can talk to clients about what fundamentally it means to them. And I think it's a lot bigger than just environmental. The social side is really important. You do that uh, with the workforce, James, um, and I know we do, but it's so important. And I just, uh, it's just been brilliant to, to listen to you, Rob, to be honest. Yeah, I certainly got the sense listening to that, Rob, and I learnt a lot that I'm part of a, a, a you know one dot in a much bigger picture 
and actually it's literal strength in numbers that allows SJP to invest and influence in the way that it does. And that leads me to think, well, what about people that are listening to the pod today who would like their money to have a similar impact and perhaps aren't sure if it does or know that it doesn't? What would be some what what would the simple steps be that they could take to start their journey towards responsible investing or at least understanding whether their funds are uh, are invested in a responsible way yeah well i I think the first thing and this applies to uh certainly anyone in the uk whether they're an sjp client or not uh where your money is invested uh has a massive impact so the first thing is find out where your money is invested uh and does that company have an approach to responsible investing. And so for most people, that will be through your workplace pension. And so if you're employed, you know, find out from your employer, you know, who is your money invested with? Is it with an SJP pension or any of the other workplace providers? Then the next thing is ask, you know, what uh, do they have a responsible uh, investment policy or, you know, what are their investment beliefs? Uh, and and ask and and ask and ask to learn more and you know if not uh, you know ask them why not and you know my, my starting point would be to engage uh, but if not you know consider you know switching your money or your funds uh, to sort of fund managers and pension providers who, who who are aligned in that way and 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 ultimately that as you say it's those you know that the power of all of those numbers sort of coming together and and, and sort of multiplying up and, 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 re- and really making a big difference. And then crucially sort of tracking and then sort of asking, you know, how are you doing it? And a, look, a byproduct of all of this is I think, you know, hopefully, uh, you know, people will take more of an interest in their pension, which, you know, let's face it, people like, you know, Rachel and me love pensions, but, you know, the reason why we all need a sort of financial advisor is it's something that's really important, but we don't always get around to doing it and, and thinking about it. And so actually, hopefully by doing this, uh, you know, people get more engaged with their pension beyond just oh, it's a pot of money that I'll have when I retire. Actually, you can start thinking about it. Oh, it's a pot of money that actually I'm saving for today and is having a positive impact today. And I think that's, that, 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 that's a pretty cool thing. It certainly is. And we, we talked, you mentioned there about retirement. It, brings us neatly around to the opposite end of the scale. Just tell us a bit about Save Your Acorns. I assume it's beyond financial advice for squirrels. <laughs> yeah, it is. Uh, and and look, Save Your Acorns is a, a children's book that I wrote uh, now about uh, six years ago, and it's sort of aimed at, at, at four to six-year-olds. And, and, and why is that? Well, you know, the, look, the sad truth is that most of us in the UK weren't really taught about money and how it works and, and don't really feel confident about how to make decisions about money. And it's not a surprise, really, because, uh, you know, it was only put on the secondary school syllabus in 2014. And even today, only 45% of schools teach financial education. Uh, and research done back in 2013 by Cambridge showed that actually our money-saving habits are formed by the age of seven. And so uh, I've always been sort of 
passionate about, you know, how can we transform people's financial well-being to feeling sort of confident. Uh, and I think the best way to do that is through education. I mean, you know, earlier Rachel talked about how you know, she works with her clients to educate them about it. And uh, we, you know, we know that, you know, many adults, uh, you know, when you ask them, what, what do you wish they knew how to do, aside from how to change a plug, is typically, you know, what's a pension, how does it work, insurance, they're typically related to money. And so Save Your Acorns is a fun story about some monkeys who waste their bananas, uh, bears who save their berries for winter, uh, and squirrels who save two out of ten acorns, but they plant those acorns and know that those acorns, if you leave them for a long time, grow into trees. And it's really an opportunity for mum and dad or grandma and granddad or auntie and uncle to read a nice bedtime story uh, to their children or their grandchildren or their nieces and nephews uh, that's completely fun and is just a completely fun cartoon. Uh, but like all great stories, is a parable that you can sort of explore uh, and have that and begin to have that conversation about money. Because as they say, it's good to talk. I love the sound of Save Your Acorns. It's our, it is our grandson's favourite book. Um, he's he's just gone five, so yeah, he loves his bedtime story. With the monkeys are his favourite, actually. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, Rob, every week on the uh, pod, we take a myth and we seek to bust that myth open. And I'd like to uh, invite you to give us some insight into into uh, this particular myth. And it is that investing in companies such as BP or Royal Dutch Shell is a bad thing. And that's in the context of everything we've been discussing as far as the environment's concerned. Yeah, so look, great, great question. Because you know, this is probably one of those controversial uh, topics so, you know, at one end of the spectrum, people who feel passionate about sort of protecting the environment are deeply worried about climate change, uh, will probably feel that, you know, the biggest culprits here uh, are the oil and gas companies, uh, and therefore, why on earth would you invest with a big oil and gas company like BP or Royal Dutch Shell? So that, that, that's at sort of one end of the spectrum. Uh, you know, at the other end of the spectrum uh, uh, are, are people who say, look, I invest my money, not, you know, not that I, I don't want to save the planet, but, you know, my primary purpose is to invest. And actually, you know, oil and gas companies and energy companies have done pretty well over the last, certainly recently. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I think you should be in, investing in them. Now, the problem with those two ends of the spectrum is that in the middle is more nuanced and more and more complicated. And earlier you heard me talk about engagement, which is what, what we do at SJP. That a previous version of this used to be called ethical investing. And ethical investing meant that you would not invest or divest from companies that you thought, you know, might not be aligned with your, with your beliefs. So, you know, Cancer Research UK might choose to divest from tobacco companies, and you go, well, okay, that makes that makes sense. The, the, the problem with that is that when you sort of divest from an entire industry, uh, a you can sort of miss out miss out on good performance. So, you know, are you meeting your fiduciary duties? Are you getting the best possible investment return? But B, and here's the here's the sort of the the real the myth bust. You're not actually creating any change because it's a bit like if you or me fly less it doesn't really change anything what we need to do is 
everyone needs to fly less to change to change that behavior right and so if we divested from those companies we have to sell our shares but we have to sell our shares to somebody and so it might make us feel good not to own those companies but we haven't changed their behavior and so the analogy i like to think is a bit like me walking into my garden and finding some rubbish i pick it up and i throw it into my next door neighbor's garden i've got no rubbish in my garden and i feel great but i've not made the rubbish go away Whereas what we do, and it's the sort of where, you know, where we were earlier in this conversation, is through our managers, we want to engage with them. Now, ultimately, we might divest from them because we feel uh, that they haven't gone enough. They're not taking it seriously. But the crucial thing is at SJP, we haven't divested from a single industry. And what we want to do is invest in the, the, the leaders in each industry, in the airline industry, in the automobile industry in the oil and gas industry, because actually we need to get them to drive change. And the, the sort of truth is, is that, you know, we all need energy for an economy. We need an economy because people need jobs. People need jobs because actually not only does it give them money, but it, it actually provides kind of mental health benefits and makes people feel good. And we're not at a point yet where we can all go to sort of renewables. We have to transition. We're not at a point where we can all stop just eating red meat and all stop sort of driving to work and we need to transition. And so what we do at SJP and alongside other investors, I talked about being part of Climate Action 100 Plus, is we engage with these big businesses. We get them to understand the risks. We get them to talk about how they're making plans to transition uh, and then we hold them to account. So the, the sort of myth to bust is that owning oil and gas companies per se isn't a bad thing. I think the nuance though is that just because someone owns BP and Shell doesn't necessarily mean that they're doing engagement. They might just be investing in it because I think they're making tons of money right now uh, and I don't really care about any of this stuff and I'm not engaging. So if, if, you, if your pension is invested, that's neither a good or a bad thing. The question you need to then go on to is going well, but are they engaging with these companies and can they hear evidence that they're engaging with these companies? Because that's how they're going to drive the change. Wow. Yeah. Brilliant. Brilliant. Once again, Rob, thank you so much uh, for taking time out to um, to go through all that with us today. Um, I certainly found it fascinating listening to you and uh, I'm sure that our listeners will, uh, will too. So for, from me, Rob, thank you very much. And uh, from me as well, Rob, you've been a fantastic guest. Some excellent insights there. Uh, Thank you for your time and your expertise. Well, James, Rachel, uh, thanks for having me on your podcast. We always want to hear what you've got to say about the pod. So if you've got any questions or comments, just head to our social media channels across Facebook, Instagram and LinkedIn. Search for Rachel Bell Wealth Management and as if by magic, the ladies will appear. Or you can head to our website, rachelbellwealthmanagement.co.uk, where there's a contact us form. We also need you to know that the value of an investment with St. James's Place will be directly linked to the performance of the funds you select and the value can therefore go down as well as up. You may get back less than you invested. The levels and basis of taxation and reliefs from taxation can change at any time. 
The value of any tax relief depends on individual circumstances. Rachel Bell Wealth Management is an appointed representative of and represents only St James's Place Wealth Management PLC, which is authorised and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority for the purpose of advising solely on the group's wealth management products and services. More details of which are set out on the group's website, sjp.co.uk.